It's one of my favorites. Amen. Well, that's good, folks. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 1. Verse number 26. Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? <clears throat> the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Father, bless your holy word now. In thy name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. The Son of God. The Jews of his day knew full well what that term meant. That meant that he was equal with God. For God to have a son. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Son of God. How can this be, seeing I know not a man? The virgin birth is absolutely without question, essential for our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Without the virgin birth, the rest of it is uh, essentially just a wives' tale, a, uh, something that really doesn't make any sense and really doesn't mean anything for us 2,000 years later. This is what's called the Annunciation. This is when Mary is told that she, a virgin daughter of Zion, never known a man, and was going to bear a child, which absolutely is against all laws of physics and nature. How in the world can this be, seeing I know not a man? It was made very clear to her that the Son, that the, whole, the Holy Spirit, verse 35, would come upon her. Now, if you'll notice something about this, this is about Mary today. I'm going to preach a message about Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in verse number 29 of Luke chapter number 1, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. All of her questions weren't answered immediately on the spot, but that's okay. A lot of times we don't even know what questions to ask. The Lord does. He knows what we need to know, and he'll give us what we can handle at the time. If you'll notice in chapter number 2 of the book of Luke, in verse number 19, when we're dealing with this, it says this of Mary. Mary, Luke chapter number 2 and verse 19. But Mary kept all these sayings and pondered them in her heart. She was a thinker. 
She let it reach down into her soul and speak to her because something was happening to Mary that she could not relate to any other person in all of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, nor of her age or anything in the future. Nobody had ever had happen to them what was happening to her. She was about to bear a son, and that son is the son of God. And that's a big deal because she is about to bring forth God Almighty's son into this world. Now in theology is the term called theotokos. And what does that mean? That means God bearer. There are those that teach that Mary was the mother of God. Let me tell you something about God, folks. God never was born and God never came into existence. Never. The God-man was born 2,000 years ago when the incarnation took place and God became a man. The Lord Jesus Christ is the God-man. And God chose a virgin to incarnate himself into human flesh. Therefore, in having human flesh, he was able to shed blood on the cross and die in a physical body for us. But make no mistake about it, mark this down. God cannot die. That's an utter impossibility. So at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That spirit is the very essence of God himself as he goes off into the presence of the Father. His body died and his soul went down into the heart of the earth. So to understand, now I'm not going to get into all this today because we don't have time for it. We're talking about Mary. But what I've given to you so far are some very profound, deep theological truths that you need to take hold of today. And that is that Mary did not bring forth God. She is not the God-bearer. She brought forth the God-man, God incarnate in flesh. But she pondered these things in her heart. And these are the kind of things that we ought to ponder in our heart. We should take them out of this house today and do some serious thinking about what I said to you. The Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty, manifest in flesh, the God-man. Note carefully, please. When God raised that body from the dead on the third day, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Something happened to the Godhead. The scripture says in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Something therefore happened to the Godhead that would never change again. Forever this would be the God-man. Now here's something about Mary again. Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 25. The Bible said, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now I talked about Simeon at length before. He was not looking for a, 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 a king or someone to deliver them from Roman oppression, although that would have been good and that will happen. He was looking for a spiritual answer to the spiritual problems of his people. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one. He came by the spirit of the temple and when the parents brought in child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He's holding in his hands an eight day old child according to the law of Moses to be brought in and be circumcised 
which of course was a sign of the law, uh, before the law, was a sign of the faith of Abraham. Circumcision, by the way, I need to say this, was given long before the law. Circumcision was given to Abraham 1,900 years before Christ. Amen. The law didn't show up until about 1400 B.C. So you're looking at a difference of 500 years between the giving of the law and circumcision itself. And this is not a message about circumcision, but you need to keep in mind that the Lord Jesus Christ was born into a Jewish home and raised in a Jewish home and kept the Jewish laws and observed the Jewish feast. The Bible said he came into his own, but his own received him not. So in every sense of the word, he was to be identified with the Jews. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. According to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now watch him prophesy. Simeon here is prophesying. And he says he is to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. You notice this? Long before Peter said, Lord, Noah, I'm not about to enter into the house of Cornelius. This was long before the Lord said to the Syrophoenician woman, it's not right to take the bread of the children and give it to dogs. This is long before it was said, go not into the way of the Gentiles, but only into the house of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, things in the Bible are dispensational, folks. Need to understand they have a place and a time. God had already said it that he was going to save Gentiles. That's not, a, that's not an afterthought, but when and how. That's the unfolding of the doctrine of the New Testament, which of course in itself is a different study, but it is a wonderful study. It'll open up the Bible for you when you begin to see how that God brought the Gentiles in. But here we have a light to lighten the Gentiles. Notice how he said it. He said, a light to lighten the Gentiles. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he's the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. I cannot emphasize what I'm about to say to you more than what I'm about to say. Light in the New Testament is a powerful thing. It's about light. Light received, light rejected, and a desire for light. Do you want the truth? If you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Do you really want it? Do you really want the truth? Because the Bible, my friend, tells us they neither come to the light because their deeds were evil. They don't want to come to the light because it will manifest who and what they are. But if you want the light, you'll get the light. Because you were born, according to the scripture, a light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now stop with me and think for a moment. The New Bibles like to change that by saying, coming into the world, he was the light of men. That's not what your Bible says. That puts the emphasis upon Christ coming into the world, being the light. But that's not what it says in John 1. He's the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The emphasis is not upon Christ coming into the world. The emphasis is upon the fact that you as a man... As a human being was born into this world and God put something inside you. That's the emphasis. And you can follow that light as the wise men from the east did. And they came to Christ or you can turn it off. And that, my friend, is a gift from God. Don't take lightly what I'm, no pun intended. But don't take lightly what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Amen. 
So he's a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of men in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Look at all this prophecy. Look at this old man prophesy. Yes, sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Can you imagine a life lived and to finish it like that? I'd like to have been right there with him. Amen. I mean, he said, this is it. It can't get any better than this. I'm holding in my hands the salvation of God. I'm ready to go. That's what he said. And let thy servant depart in peace. But note carefully what he said in verse 35. A sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. Mary is being prepared for something. Remember now, in verse 29 of chapter 1 of Luke, she was troubled at this saying. Then in Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 19, she pondered these things in her heart, and now she is told by Simeon, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. What privilege and what responsibility. What privilege to bear the Son of God. No greater privilege than that, folks. But look what it brings her. It not only brings a blessing, but it brings a responsibility and accountability too at the same time. A sword will pierce through thine own soul. Now I'm sure at the time she had no idea what that soul sword would be, but she would soon find out later on in her life. In the book of Luke chapter number two and verse number 42, she brings her child for the bar mitzvah. Bar in Hebrew means son of mitzvah is law. Mitzvot is the study of the law. So a bar mitzvah is that a 12-year-old boy is ready now to become a son of the law. In other words, symbolically speaking, he is old enough now to accept responsibility to understand the law and to give an accountability of himself. And the raising of a Jewish child, folks, is a very important thing. Alfred Edersheim in his Life and Works of Christ, which is a wonderful study, a converted Jew, gives you all of the different stages of childhood as they grow up. And they watch them and they have different names for all of these stages of childhood. To raise a child in a Jewish home 2,000 years ago was far more important than what we see today in the culture in this country. We have Caesar who wants to step in and take over our children. We have an educational system in this country now who thinks it knows far more than you do about raising your children. And it deals with their, with their identity and all of the rest of that. That's garbage. Straight out of hell. The parent, love, nobody on this earth loves these children more than mom and dad. And that's the way it ought to be. Mom and dad loves the children, not some hired professional. And this is not to denigrate all teachers. There's a lot of good teachers out there. No question about that. And education is absolutely necessary. But folks, when it comes to the children, the children do not belong to Caesar. They do not belong to the state. They do not belong to, 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 to you know, to, to educational system who they belong to. They don't belong to the parents either. Did you, did you get ready for that? Who do they belong to? They belong to the Lord. Children are in heritage of the Lord. He owns your kids, but he's a good God. He turns around and hands them to you and says, now you go ahead and raise them. I'm going to love them, but I want you to raise them as parents. And he'll give you the wisdom to do that. And so the Bible says over here, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the law or the feast. Then in verse number 49, Luke chapter 2, 
And he said to them, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? Now you've read it many times. You know, they left Jerusalem and they went a couple of days journey and he wasn't there. And then what happened to him? What's going on here? And so they sought among their, among their friends and their, and their relatives and he wasn't with them. So they went back to Jerusalem. Where'd they go? It's an amazing thing where they found him, don't you think? Don't you think? But I want you to notice carefully the wording. And she comes to him and she says to him, your father and I sought thee. And he gives her a mild rebuke in verse number 45, 49. He said, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? And at 12 years of age, he held the doctors of the law. He held them astounded at the wisdom that he had. Of course, no problem. He wrote the book. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, yeah. He wrote it. The Bible said he increased with wisdom and knowledge. He did. Yes, he did. And by the time of 12, he was a master of the word of God. No question about it. And they sat there and they listened to this 12-year-old boy. We're talking about doctors like Gamaliel. Shemai and men like that who started their own schools 2,000 years ago listening to this 12-year-old boy. Where in the world did he get that wisdom? Where could that come from? Well, it comes from God. I mean, after all, he is God. And so in verse number 51, and he went down to them. He went down with them. Notice the wording. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. And was subject unto them. He humbled himself and became obedient. He subjected himself to them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Notice how many times now we've been reading this. That over and over and over again Mary is allowing all of this to build up in her soul. And she's thinking. No doubt she was thinking about Simeon. What he had said. No doubt she was thinking about the angel Gabriel. She troubled. Then she pondered. And now she kept all these sayings in her heart. God was preparing Mary. And I'm going to tell you, I'll show you later. I don't jump ahead of myself. But there's a reason he prepared Mary. Because Mary had a special relationship with Christ that no one else had, folks. No one else that ever walked this earth had that relationship that she had with him. Now in the book of Mark, chapter number 3 and verse number 21, we get into his ministry. He begins to minister. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he's beside himself. Did you see that? Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Well, you know what they're saying? They're saying he's nuts. And notice what they say. They go out to lay hold on him. It literally means seize him. Take him by force. Take him away to the nut house. That's exactly what you're reading. And their indication is that some of his family members were part of that. He's nuts. It's crazy. He goes against all of the Jewish norms. He doesn't preach like the Pharisees. He doesn't, his message is not like there. No man speaketh like this man. <laughs> and no man did speak like him. And there's not a one of them that can say to the wind, cease be still. And they're not out here walking on the water. And they're not raising the dead. They're not healing the sick. They're not casting out devils. My friend, there was no man like that man, never has been, never will be. He's one of a kind. He's the only one of his kind. Yes, he is. So the Bible says they went out and laid hold on him. Now in John chapter number 7 and verse 1, 
This gives you a, a good idea of his brethren. John 7 verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he had not walked in Jerry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle. Now, when you, let's go back and look for just a moment. I know I jump around on stuff. Get me, Galilee's in the north. It's in an area called the Decapolis. The Decapolis is ten Gentile-leaning uh, cities. Uh, they have their cities that aren't necessarily Jewish in their structure, although Jews are there. The southern part of Israel was fully Jewish. And when you, the closer you get to Jerusalem, the more you, get, you become Jewish in control and so forth. But here we have in Galilee, he, these things he walked in Galilee, for he did not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. And the Jewish feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said to him, depart hence. Now they're mocking him. All right. You claim to be a prophet and you're working in the ministry of God and you're different from all men. His brethren said, uh, depart hence and go into Judea then, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. In plain words, don't hide up here in Galilee. If you are who you say you are, go on south. This is mockery. And they may see the works. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, verse 4. And he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Now look at verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. See that? Now he told him, he said, a prophet hath no honor in his own country. It is that familiarization, to be familiar. Familiarity, the old axiom says, familiarity breeds contempt. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, yeah. The only two ways to really know somebody is to marry them or work with them. <laughs> and you've been married for any period of time. How many of you know your husband, know your wife? Raise your hands. Now, wives and husbands, look at each other. <laughs> you know each other, don't you? Yes, you do. You know which buttons to push. You know what to say. You go back for years. I understand all that. We do. But then that begins to deal with the character of the individual too, doesn't it? Are you looking for a perfect wife? Are you looking for a perfect husband? Well, then you're wasting your time. So what do you do then, preacher? You learn how to live. You learn how to accept each other. You learn how to make your marriage work. That's what you do. That's what, exactly what you do. You learn to make it work. That's the, the fact is that's the key to life. You learn how to get along with people. You learn how to work with people. You may have people that don't agree with you the way you do things. What do you do? Pout up? Go in a corner somewhere and cry? Or do you ask God to give you wisdom to learn how to work with people? For after all, they may have a good idea down the road somewhere. When you get a few heads together, you might find that God can get in the midst of something like that. That's right. And so they had rejected him. Neither did his brethren believe in him. Can you imagine how Christ felt? Can you imagine how his own family turned on him? You remember John chapter number six, he said, except you drink the blood of the son of man, eat his flesh, you have no part in me. And they said, this is a hard saying. And so they went away from him. Many of the Bible said of his disciples walked away that day. Are you following Christ simply because you can understand everything he says? In plain words, you worship your brain instead of him. Amen. You worship your ability, your senses. That's right, your achievement, your experience, instead of his. You suppose that God knows more than we do? You suppose his mind is much higher than ours? 
You suppose the ways of the Lord are not our ways? The heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways than our ways? Sure they are, folks. Does he answer all my questions? No. Do I understand everything about God? No. Does he do, does he do things that kind of confuse me? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get this pastor right here. Let's stand this preacher up. Look at him now. Does he make mistakes? Oh, yeah. Has he made mistakes? Oh, yeah. Has he done things that he regretted? Oh, yeah. Will he make mistakes in the future? Yeah, he will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he understands all that. Good. He's qualified. If he thinks he's perfect, get him out of here. He's qualified because he knows he needs help. And he knows he's going to fail. He knows he's going to make mistakes. He knows he's, he's, he does things he regrets. He wants you to go back and change them. Sure, that's part of being a man or a woman. You say, well, our pastor's perfect. You live in la-la land. <laughs> I got a bridge I want to sell you. <laughs> they didn't believe in him. So it comes to the crucifixion. Now here's a part, and this is, brings us all down to this point. John 19, verse 25. And you've got to look into it. John 19, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. Now who would that be? Sure it is. You answered that quickly. Absolutely. It's John. He saith unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then saith he to, to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Now some folks see no more in here than simply being disrespectful to his mother. That's all they say. That's all they see in it. There's far more going on here than that. Far more. So what do you mean, preacher? First of all, he has to identify her. There's no question in her mind that he's not a d delusional you know, his mind's not shot. He's not off in space. He knows who she is. And he's looking at her probably right in the eye. And she, of course, is where she needs to be because she loves him. This is real love, folks. This is real love. His mother loves him. There was never any doubt about that. Mary loved her son. Yes, from day one. Understood him? No, I just took you through all that. But you see, here's the problem. She knew him. She brought him into the world. And he lay on her breast. He, he, he suckled. He was, and she was his mother. She raised him from an infant until the time he was a, until he a grown, gone out. All right? So she knew him in a way nobody else knew him. She knew him in a personal way, the way that a mother will know a child. She knew that. She knew that. And he knew that, and he knew that was a problem. So what do you mean? Because she needed a savior just like all the rest of them. Now, if you believe today that Mary was born, it's called immaculate conception. You've been listening to the wrong crowd. What's immaculate conception? That means she was born without original sin. No, folks. No, no, no. I'm going to read her. It's called the uh, Magnificat in Luke chapter 1 here in a moment. I'm going to read that for you. But no, 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 no. She was born like all the rest of us. She was a virgin, yes, but it does not mean she was sinless. No, sir. No, not at all. You see, she needed a savior. So the identity 
of her being his mother had to be superseded. It had to be pushed aside. And so he made John. John, here's your mother now. John, you take care of my mother. And John will take care of his mother. Why? Because John was there too. Where were the rest of them? They were hiding for fear of the Jews. They were gone. See? But there's John. There stands John. Remember who wrote the book of Revelation? John. Do you remember who wrote the fourth gospel? The one that lays out the deity of Christ like none of the others do? John. Do you know who wrote first and second and third? John, the one who opens up the light, shows you how to walk in the light, shows you what's going on inside you. If you ever think you're perfect, read first John chapter 1, 8, 9, and 10. Read that. It's John, folks, that had a sense about him of these things. And so the Lord Jesus says, Mary, there's your son. In plain words, I'm your savior, not your son. Now, I know I just made a bunch of Roman Catholics mad. Believe me, they're mad as a wet hen at me. I understand all that. I knew it before I ever said it. And I'm not up here to run Roman Catholics down this morning, but I am up here to preach the Bible. And I'm going to have to stick with the book. I'm sorry. There's nothing about this to just offend you to offend you, but the book is the book. She needed a Savior just like the rest of us do. And so this is the identity crisis. This is an identity crisis. This is getting it settled, Mary John's your son now, no longer me, I'm your savior. And she had to accept him as her savior now. And folks, nobody in this world, you remember something now, nobody had ever lived before her or since her had to deal with what Mary had to deal with here. And all she'll call her blessed. I got a problem with Protestants that want to run her down and all they can talk about is the queen of heaven. I got a problem with you. There's not another Mary in the Bible. We don't worship her, but she is blessed. She's different. Yes, she is. She's the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Her name should be held in all respect. When you mention her, she should be respected in every sense of the word. Amen. But not worshipped. And she's no mediator. She does not come between you and God or Christ in any sense of the word. And so the Bible says that he took her to his own house. Now, in the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it's called the Magnificat. It's when she was, had received the news of uh, going to visit her cousin Elizabeth and the baby leaped in her womb, Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist was six months inside his mother's womb. It formed for six months. And the Holy Ghost filled him up. That's, that's a tough one for abortionists. I mean, that's a hard one. If I was a baby killer, I'd have a hard time with that one, wouldn't you? But it says over here in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my what? Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, and you should call her blessed, because she is blessed. She's the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. El... If you have any respect at all, you should have it for Mary, mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant 
Israel. Uh, my grandfather used to use that word, holpen. That's an old English word. Helped, that's in other words, that's what that means. He has holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now what you're reading here is what's called a song. How many of you remember when Israel stood on the other side of the Red Sea and the Red Sea had closed in upon Pharaoh and all of his troops? you remember what happened? It's called the Song of Moses. He stood over there and he sang this song, the Song of Victory. Well, that's what's going on here. You see, it's, it's part of their culture. It's part of the time. It's a beautiful thing. And it's called the Magnificat of Mary. Now, here's three things, and I'll come to a close. She is not the Queen of Heaven. All right? No, she's not. No, no, no. Ishtar, Ashtoreth, the wife of Molech, and so forth and so on. That's the queen of heaven. That's a pagan idol god. She is not a mediator. Mary has no part at all as you approach the Lord Jesus Christ through uh, God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And she is not the mother of God. God has no mother because God was never born. She, it's right. That's why I called it the Theotokos. You, if you want to look the word up when you get home, it's a Greek word. It means God-bearer. Okay? Well, that's what they say. That's what the people in the, in the Orthodox Church, Catholic Church, so forth, when they teach that Mary brought forth God, bore God, the God-bearer. She was the mother of God. No, she wasn't. She was the mother of the God-man. And that gets into something we don't have time for this morning, but I've thought a lot about it. Just exactly how his body formed inside the womb of this virgin. And the human part and the divine part. Because that's an issue in itself. Yes, sir. He was fully God and fully man. Amen. When he died on the cross, he died as the man, Christ Jesus. This is why he liked to refer to himself as the son of man. And probably, if you want to be more technical this morning, you could say that Mary was the mother of the Son of Man. Amen. Amen. Father, bless your word, and thank you for the time today. We, we, we call blessed in every sense of the word Mary, the mother of my Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure if she were here today, she would rebuke soundly anyone who tried to call her the Queen of Heaven or the one who, who was the God-bearer. She had no part in that, not this blessed girl, not this, not this virgin daughter of Zion, not the Mary of the New Testament. The Mary of the New Testament was a blessed Israelite. She received the word, and she had her problems, and she wrestled with certain things, and no question about it, like we all would. But my Heavenly Father, in the end, our Lord Jesus Christ looked at her, loved her, and sent her away with John, and he was her Savior. In your name I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand up this morning. I'll give you an opportunity if you'd like to come today. Maybe you've